0: This is the Joe and Amber Podcast.
1: The Derek Carr era with the Raiders is over. Joe and Amber is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can be a part of Joe and Amber Nation, and who wouldn't want to be a part of a nation called Joe and Amber, right? I mean, everybody wants to be a part of that nation, and you can be a part of it on the Dr. Pepper call in line. Call us 888-888-729-3776. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper and in college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper the one that fans deserve. Amber Wilson, Joe Fortenbaugh hanging out with you. And we knew it was coming, Joe, Derek Carr. We knew he was on his way out. That was obvious. Once the Raiders decided to not play him the last couple games, he seemed to clean out his locker. He was nowhere near around the facility. We knew it was a coming. It is official. Now Derek Carr put out on his Instagram today that it breaks his heart. He didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye to Raiders fans in person. And he mentions that it has been a roller coaster of a nine years together, but that he gave them his all. This was a quarterback at one point, Joe, who said that he was going to, he'd rather go down with a ship, that there was no other team he was ever going to play for. Of course, a very different tune today.
2: Once Rich Gannon left the organization, the last time the Raiders were even a semblance of a competent football team. You had Rick Meyer, Marcus Tuiasasopo, Kerry Collins, Andrew Walter, Aaron Brooks, Josh McCown, Dante Culpepper, Jamarcus Russell, Bruce Gradkowski, Charlie Fry, Jason Campbell, Carson Palmer, Kyle Bowler, Terrell Pryor, Matt McGloin, and Matt Flynn I'm dizzy. all start games at quarterback until Derek Carr arrived from Fresno State. Wow. And you can say what you want about the future of, of, of Derek Carr. You can say what you want about his place in history. You can say what you want about how it ended with the Raiders. But for an organization that has been anything but stable, that has been anything but successful, Derek Carr showed up week in and week out, year in and year out for nine years for that team. He was the face of the franchise. He led by example. Was he the best in the business? Absolutely not. Is he going to the Hall of Fame? More likely not than yes, unless something miraculous happens down the stretch. But he was stable. He was consistent. And I hope that somehow, way, between now and when all the dust settles on his career down the line, people look back favorably on what he was working with and what he accomplished with this team because they didn't do a whole lot around him, Amber, for almost the entire duration of the time he was in Oakland and Las Vegas.
1: I think it was the Bengals fan, right, who used to have the jersey with all the quarterback names on it until they get to Joe Burrow. And, oh, Cleveland, that's right. It was a Cleveland Browns fan. We'll see how Deshaun Watson works out. Maybe they're still working that way down that jersey. That might still be going. But that is what the Raiders don't want to go back to. And that's my concern for this Raiders team. I know, Derek, Carr isn't the best quarterback in the National Football League, but I also know he's very, very far from one of the worst, and when you give up that Kind of stability, that kind of showing up for you year after year through all the adversity, that kind of loyalty, it can be a long fall from there. So we'll see what the Las Vegas Raiders end up doing. We'll see what Derek Carr ends up doing because, yeah, he's not the best quarterback in the league, but he's a quarterback on an open market or even a trade market that is going to be very coveted around the league because even if he hasn't had a Hall of Fame career quite yet, he's only 31 years old. I mean, Because we've seen so much of it. He's been in the league so long. I think maybe he feels even older than that. He's only early 30s, this quarterback. There could be a whole second act here, Joe. And frankly, he could easily play himself into a Hall of Fame level career, depending where he goes, or maybe just have a resurgence, like a Matthew Stafford that was buried in Detroit forever and loyal to that franchise forever. We all knew he was good. None of us thought he was the best quarterback in the league. We all knew he was good. He was on bad teams. Then he goes, he gets the ring out of it. Could a Derek Carr do something like that? I do think that if you're Derek Carr, that has to be a careful consideration when you're considering your options.
2: It's the perfect analogy you drew right there. The absolute perfect analogy because we saw Stafford for years with a bad franchise, barely scratched the surface on making any noise in the playoffs, gets an opportunity with a winner, and then boom, he's the missing piece that puts him over the top. Derek Carr could be the same thing. He could be. You know, we've seen him make plenty of mistakes throughout his career, but we've also seen him surrounded and put in some really disadvantageous situations with the Raiders. So the next question would be, what's the fit? Because obviously as a family man with several kids, he's a West Coast guy. You're going to want to take lifestyle into account. I don't think every last dollar is the most important thing for him. But when he starts to weigh winning an opportunity, what do you think's out there for him?
1: Well, let's hear first from Sam Ocho, ESPN football analyst. He was on this just in today. He was asked what team is the best fit for Derek Carr.
0: I think it's the Jets. I really do. And I think a couple reasons. Number one, the Jets have a dominant defense, not just an okay defense, a really good defense, a top five defense, number four in points, number four in yards. Their offense is what was struggling. They were the 29th ranked offense. So all you need, and you heard Woody Johnson say it, all you need is a quarterback. And so, yes, you have Zach Wilson on your roster, but now you can get a veteran who's played the game. Last year was top 5 in passing yards. This year, of course, with a new coach, didn't have as much success but still threw for over 3500 yards. Get a quarterback like that into the jet system and you cut down on those interceptions, right? 14 this year, 14 last year. Cut down on those picks. You have a new offensive coordinator as well in New York. All of a sudden you have a top 5 defense and an offense that is trending in the right direction. So I think New York Jets is the right fit
1: an offense trending in the right direction not an offense that's already there does the entrance of Derek Carr automatically make that New York Jets team a Super Bowl contender I'm not taking anything away from that defense and they've done a phenomenal job putting that defense together but that's also a very young team so from that perspective you'd be bringing in an older quarterback that wouldn't necessarily be growing given again only 31 so presumably a lot more years left but wouldn't necessarily be growing from the ground up with the team which was their original plan clearly when they took Zach Wilson
2: I don't know if you want to deal with the headaches you 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 have a situation they don't even have an offensive coordinator right now and with New York it seems like they step all over themselves at every turn even when things are going well I'm going to throw two teams at you that I think are flying below the radar on this one number one Baltimore what happens if Lamar Jackson's gone? What happens if they can't figure something out and they decide we're gonna move on? That defense has been straight filthy this season. They're allowing fourteen points per game over like their last nine, number two. I would throw Carolina out there as well.
1: I don't hate Carolina. Baltimore, I hate for Derek Carr, because if I'm Derek Carr, I want nothing to do with following in Lamar Jackson's footsteps. It's one thing to step into the shoes of Zach Wilson. It's another thing to step <laughs> into the shoes of Lamar Jackson. So I want nothing to do with that. Also, lack of weapons in Baltimore, which has always been one of the problems for Lamar Jackson. I do think Carolina is interesting. I don't know what they're going to for a minute there. It looked like Sam Darnold had played his way into maybe continuing a job there. But obviously, in Carolina, you've got coaching concerns moving forward as well. There's a lot of question marks with all these teams. I think that there's also outlier teams that we're not even thinking about. Like, what does Derek Carr look like on the Tampa Bay Bucks, for example, if in fact Tom Brady's leaving the Bucks? Some people think Tom Brady's leaving the Bucks for the Raiders. Could they just do a little swap of QBs? What would that mean? There's weapons in Tampa. That was a good team at one point. Now, the quarterback's not the problem, and certainly that team has been a problem a large portion of this season, but that would be a nice place for Derek Carr to live. So, a lot I think in terms of where to consider, this is certainly a conversation we are going to be having over and over again, probably moving forward here because Derek Carr is going to have, it feels like his pick of the litter in terms of landing spots, but it's official. It ain't going to be in Vegas because his time in Las Vegas is over. Our time is not over. We're just getting started here on Joe and Amber, Amber Wilson, Joe Fortenbaugh with you coming up next big Eastern conference matchup tonight. In Brooklyn. Can the Nets hang with the C's without Kevin Durant? We're going to get into it. Joe and Amber, this is ESPN Radio, and you can listen to us on the ESPN app.
0: Joe and Amber, the podcast.
1: Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Kyrie Irving is averaging 26 points per game this year, but he's done so while playing second fiddle to Kevin Durant. He is going to have to do even more now. That KD is out with injury. Amber Wilson, Joe Ma hanging out with you here on Joe and Amber. You can always hit us up on the Dr. Pepper call-in line, 888-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Kyrie is having a good season. And Joe, Kyrie is having a quiet season, which I think we know makes it all the better, right? It's almost strange. Like, it's this eerie feeling right now around the Brooklyn Nets where all is quiet. And this injury to KD, certainly not the type of noise that – We were fearful that we might hear, but it's another injury to Kevin Durant. And it's kind of like, oh, right, this is where the wheels fall off. This is where things start to not look quite so perfect. But is that the case? Or can Kyrie keep this ship righted while KD is out for about a month? Let's talk to somebody who knows. ESPN NBA reporter Nick Fidel joined the show. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. I was just mentioning Kyrie, his... 26 points per game so far this season, but his usage rate is uh, 29.1% right now. He's playing 36.5 minutes a night. It seems like those numbers are all going to have to go up significantly now in KD's absence. What role is Kyrie actually going to have to play here to keep the Nets afloat?
0: He's got to be the one, Amber, who sets the tone on the offensive end and gets everybody else involved. And I say that because Kyrie's been very good since he returned from the suspension. But if you watch the Nets at the end of games, it's been Kevin takes a shot. Next time down the floor, Kyrie takes a shot. <laughs> and they alternate uh, going down the final minutes. So Kyrie's got to be the one to get the Joe Harris's involved and the T.J. Warren's more involved. and get Seth Curry shots he's comfortable with. So for all the pressure that's on the group, As far as a unifier of the group in Kevin's absence, Kyrie's got to be the guy to do it. But Amber, I tell you, he has the respect in the locker room and he has the confidence of all his teammates in order to play that role. So they believe he can do it. They believe they're better equipped to handle the absence of Kevin this year compared to last year. And they think they can keep everything rolling until he returns.
2: Brooklyn this season, 18-3 and three against teams that are sub-500, 9-10 against teams above 500. Now the Celtics, most certainly above 500, but there's a bit of a situational edge here tonight for the Nets. They haven't played since Sunday. This is the fourth game in six nights for Boston, who just played last night against New Orleans, but no KD. So you take all those factors into account, how much of a measuring stick game is this tonight?
0: I don't think it's that big of one, Joe, only because – Now for Boston, you're playing without Jalen Brown. And we know what Kevin Durant does for Brooklyn. We know what Brown does for Boston. I don't think either team is looking at each other in this particular game saying, all right, whoever wins this one will know. I think the measuring stick game happened a few weeks ago here at Barclays. When Boston came in, it was tight throughout the fourth quarter, but they pulled away down the stretch and they won. So – these teams saw each other in the playoffs. They're going to see each other again a few more times in the regular season. There is certainly a respect level on both sides. But Brooklyn knows they're looking up at Boston. And no matter what happens tonight, even if they ride the Nets due, all the momentum they've got, and having won 18 of 20, in the end, this game does not mean that much in the grand scheme of the season.
1: Nets sees gets going tonight, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Tip-off. We're talking to Nick Friedle. He covers the Nets for us here at ESPN. Uh, So, Nick, this is the second MCL issue back-to-back years here for Kevin Durant. He's 34 years old. Is this a player that we're going to have to start questioning whether he can stay healthy through a long playoff run?
0: Amber, I think that... This is a player at 34 that you just have to bank on missing some time. Now, in Kevin's defense, all three of the MCL injuries that he's dealt with in his career, you go back to 2017 when he was with the Warriors, Zaza Petulia fell into his knee. You go back to last season, Bruce Brown fell into his knee. Jimmy Butler, a few days ago in Miami, fell into his knee. It's a lot of bad luck in that case. But when you have those type of absences for that long of a stretch, you have to build in that there's going to be a bulk of time when he's not out there and other guys have to take over that burden. Last year, as you all remember, they only had to Kyrie half the time because of the vaccination shot and his decision not to get it so he could only play on the road. Harden was there for a couple weeks, decided, I want out of Brooklyn, and he disappeared and forced the trade. The guy who I think has a lot of pressure on him going into tonight and moving forward the next month is Ben Simmons. Because he's been able to kind of fall into the shadows playing with Kevin, with Kyrie. Kevin's gone now for a month, six weeks. We'll see. Ben Simmons has got to step up and do more defensively. And he's got to provide an outlet for Kyrie to take some pressure off offensively as far as movement goes. If he does that, the Nets will be okay. If he's not capable of that anymore, they're going to have a big, big problem whenever Kevin does return. 7.7
1: 7.7 points per game is what Ben Simmons is averaging, but we know that scoring is not Ben Simmons' strength. Net Celtics tonight, again, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter. Nick, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Always, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: A Ben Simmons situation. At this point, I feel like, Joe, that ship has just sailed. Like, we're in terms of offensively in terms of contributing with scoring. Like, yes, he can help facilitate the offense, and he's going to need to be able to step up and do that. Defensively, he's been an elite player, and that's really what the bread and butter is. But in terms of actually expecting him to be able to contribute in KD's absence and help Kyrie out and help Nick Claxton out, who's their third leading scorer, he's not going to be able to do it in terms of the points. Don't
2: force the player into the system. Build the system around the player. That was the biggest problem for the longest time with a lot of these quarterbacks coming out of college football, going to the pros, and then guys like Jeff Fisher would shove him under center and want to hand it off 42 times a game. Like, you drafted the guy for a reason. You acquired the guy for a reason. Understand his skill set, work to develop him, but build around him. Ben Simmons is not going to score 35 a night. He's not Allen Iverson. He's not going to create his own looks. He's going to play exceptional defense. He can rebound. He can facilitate. And every now and again, he's going to put some shots up. The idea that he should be out there scoring 25 a night now that Durant's out, that's a bad move for the Nets you should find another scorer who can step into the scorer's role rather than take the defensive rebounder and shove him into the scoring role. We've seen enough from Simmons to know what his strengths are and what his weaknesses are. So if the Nets are going to be smart about this – Build around the strengths rather than try to force him into a spot that's going to highlight his weaknesses.
1: I think we're going to learn a lot about this Brooklyn Nets team. I mean, I would imagine that offense is going to run through Irving. I would imagine his numbers are going to go up even tonight against that Boston Celtics defense. They're going to have to if this team is going to stay afloat without Kevin Durant. But I think we're going to learn a lot about how this team is truly constructed because KD is just a player at this point in his career where, like Nick said, he's just not going to be available to you at all times. It's not Anthony Davis problems. It's not Kawhi Leonard problems, right? But it's still problems. He's in his mid-30s. It happens. He got into a collision there with Jimmy Butler. He's out for a month. You know, he's not out the rest of the season. He's not out for the playoffs. But he's out for a month here and there. You've got to have a system in place that can stay afloat during those stretches. And Kyrie Irving should theoretically have the talent to be able to do that.
2: Well, Kyrie Irving's in a contract year, so he's going to be playing the best basketball we've seen. He's going to be in the best shape we've seen. He's not going to cause any controversies whatsoever because there's probably at least one more big payday waiting if he can just prove to everyone who signs those checks that he's going to be able to deliver. Whether or not he does after he signs is another story. He just needs to get to that point.
1: I mean, he's certainly been delivering so far, averaging with KD, 26 points per game. He's shooting 48.8% beyond from beyond the arc. His percentage is down a little bit, but totally deadly from the charity stripe. 90.7% he's hitting for three throws. Coming up next, we're going to go back to the Derek Carr conversation. This is Joe and Amber, ESPN Radio.
0: Joe and Amber, the podcast.
1: Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. All you have to do is tell your smart speakers to play ESPN Radio. One of the things that we like to do here on Joe and Amber is try to earn you some pizza money. Now, how do we do that? We do that by doing what Joe Fortenbaugh does best. He tries to give you a little help in the betting department, make you a little cash, not high-wager stuff that we're talking about when we're talking about pizza money, loose change that you can use towards the glorious stuff in life like pizza. So let's get it.
0: Pizza money alert.
1: Pizza, pizza.
2: Pizza money, wagers we like but don't love. Otherwise, they'd be Mercedes money or something along that ilk. Tonight, we look to stay hot after an 0-6 start to this dreadful, dreadful segment. We're on a 5-1 run. 2-0 last night, so let's stay hot. We go to the ice. This game is in Chicago tonight. It's the Colorado Avalanche first period puck line over the Blackhawks. This is an opportunity to take a Colorado team that is a minus 335 favorite, which means just to bet them to win the game, you got to risk 335 bucks to win 100. Nobody wants to do that. So we'll give you a plus money wager. Colorado just has to win the first period and a $100 wager gives you $110 in profit. No team in the NHL is worse in the first period than the Blackhawks. Minus 19 first period point differential. That is worst in the NHL. 6 21 and 12 is their record after the first period. That is worst in the NHL. No Patrick Kane tonight. Avalanche getting healthy and need to start that playoff push. Pizza Money number 1 tonight and we've got two more coming later in the show. It's the Avalanche first period puck line plus 110 over the Blackhawks.
0: Joe and Amber got one.
1: So, Got One is the mastermind of our producer, James Steele. You might have noticed the Ghostbusters music on the way in. James, apparently, that's his favorite movie, and he's watched it far too many times, and he was watching it one day, and he came up with this segment, Got One. So, James, I'm going to allow you to explain it to the people.
3: Yeah, I, I come up with my feature segments and uh, apparently the names of some of my kids by watching the Ghostbusters, because mm-hmm. uh, my son's name, is Oscar. Uh, so basically this is your, you know, your typical radio, uh, pick them segment. I'm going to give you a couple of options. You guys are going to pick them and tell me why. All
1: right. Pretty simple, right?
3: All right. First yeah, up, We'll
2: see about we'll that. Find out. Yeah, we'll, well,
1: yeah, we'll find uh, out once I, we do the segment. In one.
3: theory, in theory, it's pretty simple, but we'll see. I guess that's true. I've
2: set the bar low.
3: Very. Yeah. Uh, me too. That's the best <laughs> way to, that's the best way to, to make, uh, to impress people is to set it low and then exceed your low expectations. That's how I've gotten here. Uh, My entire life Alright So you're Obviously Derek Carr Not going back to the Raiders Put yourself in Derek Carr's shoes You have your choice To go to either The Jets Or the Dolphins Which are you picking? Joe
2: I would take Miami if given the option. I would take Miami. I, I don't want to go to New York and deal. With- He's a West Coast guy. He's from Fresno. He spent his entire career in the Bay or in Vegas. Does he want to move his entire family to New York City to deal with that kind of pressure when you're not sure if Robert Sala is going to be around much longer, when you're not sure who the offensive coordinator is going to be, when you're dealing with Josh Allen in the division? Now, you'd be doing the same thing in Miami, but there's no state taxes down there. Your money goes further. The weather's nice. And you got a situation where you've got great receivers at your disposal. So if I'm making a play, it's for Amber Wilson's Miami Dolphins. I'd have to imagine she agrees.
1: I like the way you think, Joe Fortin, but I'm going Jets. No, I'm just kidding. I'm obviously <laughs> yeah, going right. my Miami Dolphins, in part because of what you just said. If you're Derek Carr, why are you trying to walk into that pressure cooker in that market where they quite literally run every quarterback out of town? Miami's quarterback situation hasn't gone that much better over the years but the pressure is definitely less in Miami overall but also nice place to live and then let's talk about the offense for a second and the weapons I understand the Jets they're a young team they're an up and coming team and we can talk about that defense for New York all day long Derek Carr doesn't play defense though he plays offense and if I'm Derek Carr I would want to be throwing the ball to weapons like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and it does feel like Mike McDaniel Daniel was on to something there for the first half of the season. I know that it swerved off the tracks a bit in the last half of the season, but we were down to our third string quarterback. I think it's hard to fully evaluate McDaniel in terms of a coach. I'd be pretty excited if I was a quarterback, frankly, to work with him. So between those two organizations, which let's be real, not necessarily the most attractive organizations on planet Earth, I would choose Miami. Shocker, I know.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm... I, for one, am just baffled (laughs) by that one. All right, up next, we got two NFL playoff teams who aren't playing this weekend because they have a bye. Uh, The Eagles are the one seed in the NFC. The Chiefs are the one seed in the AFC. Which one of the one seeds do you have more confidence in? Choose your uh, team wisely, Amber
1: the one that I've seen do it before and do it and do it and win rings and do it. Uh, that's the one that I have confidence in the quarterback who I think is probably the best quarterback in the national football league. And certainly one of the best in terms of the postseason. that guy on the Eagles is very unproven in that regard. We've all jumped on this, uh, this, this, Uh, Jalen Hurts trained this season because he's had a phenomenal season he's also been in a situation where all the pieces fit and everything's been clicking now we're talking about Hurts though coming off of a sprained shoulder I don't know what that's going to mean for the postseason and frankly I don't even know what Hurts is going to mean for the postseason because it didn't look pretty when I saw it for a second last season I have confidence in the team that I have watched do it year after year and of course that is the team led by Patrick Mahomes
2: Oh, Amber, so young, so naive, so wrong. Just so, so wrong. The Chiefs are the better team. I completely agree with her. They do not have the better path. They do not have the better situation. So the choice is obviously the Philadelphia Eagles. Philly's on the break. Next week, who are they going to get? Dallas? Shake it in my boots, Dak Prescott leads the NFL in interceptions despite missing five games this season, and then they would host most likely the 49ers, which is a tough test. But note the word host they would host them at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. Kansas City is staring down the barrel of a matchup with the Chargers in round two. The Chargers always give them problems. And if you win that game and you face Buffalo, you don't even get home field advantage at Arrowhead Stadium. you got to play it on a neutral field, which is a tip to Buffalo and gives them an advantage in that matchup. So it's the Eagles, not because they're the better team, because they aren't. The Chiefs are the better team, but the Eagles have the better path.
3: Uh, that was a terrible answer, Joe. Uh, Amber, I like yours way better. <laughs> I,
1: I thought you would, James. Yeah,
3: that's a. Are you? What are you? Good...
1: What are you smoking?
2: What, what? are you?
3: Smoking? That was a great answer. Nope, nope. The Chiefs are uh, are always Uh-oh. the answer. According to
1: James yeah. Steele, always the Chiefs are always, always the answer for all things.
3: Always the answer, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. I forgot.
1: It's like Clown the first time he hasn't is. been decked out what? in chief stuff, car. head to toe.
3: Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, usually, well, yeah. it's at my desk. All right. Um... So we just had Nick Fernell on. He, he's uh, covering the, the Nets and the Celtics tonight. Pretty big game in the Eastern Conference. When both teams are healthy, which team is the better team, the Celtics or the Nets? Ooh. Joe.
2: Well, I don't know, James. Who's your favorite basketball team? Because I might want to play to your nope. like abilities no. here so I have nope. a chance of winning a segment.
3: Only The Chiefs are the only team that matter.
2: Celtics are the better basketball team. I like what Brooklyn's doing. I've been hard on Brooklyn the last few years, and rightfully so with everything they've done. I think they're a quality team, and I love the fact that they've turned the corner defensively. But it's still early, and I cannot get over the fact that this is a team that is beaten up on nobodies. 18-3 and 3 against teams that are sub-500, 9-10 and 10 against teams that are above 500, and that is with a healthy Kevin Durant. Boston has a much better offense this year. Still an elite defense, and they're cooking with Crisco. I give the edge to the Celtics.
1: I mean, I wouldn't say much better offense this year. I think that that is grossly overstating it. We're talking about a fully healthy Kevin Durant, but I'm still going to give the edge. Not much better over
2: Brooklyn, much better than what they had last year. But that's a great point on your behalf.
1: That's fair. That's fair. I thought you meant over Brooklyn. Uh, Yeah, I would would still give the edge though here to the Celtics and maybe that's just part of trepidation because I'm just always nervous kind of fully buying in or believing in this Brooklyn team. Although certainly it has been a quiet season and a heck of a season so far for the Nets. If KD is healthy, KD is the best player out of I there are those teams. Normally I would give the nod to the team that has the best player on the court at any given time, but that Brooklyn core and the way that they have come together this season, that next step, it feels like Jason Tatum has frankly taken this season. I'm still going to give the slight edge, slight edge to the C's right now. If they're both healthy.
3: All right. What is more likely to happen in this super wildcard weekend? Dak Prescott does not throw an interception yeah, or the Dolphins actually score a touchdown? Amber.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I uh, I mean, I, what's more likely to not happen?
3: What's more likely to happen? That what's Prescott more likely to happen? Obviously, I'm going ha, to ro- I'm yeah. gonna have to
1: rock with my Dolphins. I don't feel good about it. It has been that bad. Skylar Thompson hasn't even gotten this offense close to scoring a touchdown. I mean, they weren't even close to against that game with the New York Jets thank goodness our kicker went full vintage and was able to win that game but it has been ugly the ball movement is just not there with Skylar Thompson running the offense I've got to believe that Skylar you can take a little bit of a step here on the biggest stage when you've been preparing all week I guess I'll rock with my dolphins I don't feel great about it but I wouldn't feel great about Dak either
2: It's got to be, because Prescott is absolutely throwing an interception. Four career playoff games, interceptions in three of those games, only completing 60% of his passes, career in the postseason. 15 INTs this year, tied with Davis Mills for the league lead. The guy only played 12 games. Mm -hmm. How do you lead the league in interceptions, missing five games in a 17-game season? He's throwing a pick, so it's got to be the Dolphins scoring a touchdown. I'll call it a garbage-time score late in the fourth quarter when Buffalo's got the second stringers out of the game and it's the third stringers playing D.
1: I'm going to that Buffalo Dolphins game. I don't Oh, you quite finally know figured why. that out. Yeah, I am. I'm going. I don't know why, you know, but it it's it just feels like the right thing to do. It's You're a gonna moment jump a it's table? An experience. Um, I don't know, maybe after the game out of frustration but as opposed to before the game in celebration as the Bills fans do. It's too cold in Buffalo, New York to jump through anything okay i mean i'll be surprised with myself if i'm actually still in the elements during the second half because it's cold there although the skies are supposed to be clear so
2: you're gonna eat wings you're gonna do dolphins. anything unhealthy or are you gonna go to a really unhealthy place and eat your quinoa
1: is wings the thing in buffalo
2: oh my god i think Get i her off the her fire <laughs> her
3: they're called buffalo wings with peg. that's
1: true <laughs> That are why we kidding. Oh my wings? God.
2: What are we
3: doing?
1: Because the wings were
2: made in Buffalo, New York. That's what it was. Anchor Bar. Right. Shout out Anchor Bar. Shout out Duff's. Shout out Bar Bill. That's my personal favorite. I looks married like in I'm in Buffalo.
1: It looks like I'm eating Buffalo wings this weekend.
2: If you can find it. You know what? The good, pe- the great people of Buffalo, they'd have half a mind to keep your plane from landing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Coming up next here on Joe and Amber, we're going to keep this plane soaring. Have we seen Lamar Jackson play his final game in Baltimore? We're going to get into it. This is ESPN Radio, and you can check us out on the ESPN app.
0: Joe and Amber, the podcast. Everybody's zero and zero going forward. And now we get a chance to play these guys
3: again,
2: host a playoff game. That's a huge deal to be able to do that. One guy said to me in the organization, We gotta have
0: eight, we gotta have number eight. We gotta have number eight. Windows my whole career.
1: We're starting to get some clarity. On What's happening with Lamar Jackson, Joe and Amber here on ESPN radio, Amber Wilson and Joe Fortenbaugh hanging out with you in this time slot each and every weeknight, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. You get a bonus 30 minutes, though, of Joe and Amber today. You're welcome, America. You're going to hear us from 7 to nine thirty p.m. Eastern tonight lamar jackson he has not been available he has been missing time and there's been a lot of rumors swirling joe about how legitimate it still is with the knee injury or is it that he is disgruntled because of the contract situation and the fact that the ravens and lamar still haven't worked out an extension now lamar jackson himself has taken to social media to address the issue what do you have for us joe
2: These tweets back to back two hours ago from right now. Thank you, everyone, for your support and concerns regarding my injuries. I want to give you all an update as I am in the recovery process. I've suffered a PCL grade two sprain on the borderline of a strain three. There is still inflammation surrounding my knee, and my knee remains unstable. I'm in good spirits as I continue with treatments on the road to recovery. I wish I could be out there with my guys more than anything, but I can't give a 100% of myself to my guys and fans. I'm still hopeful we have a chance. Purple heart, purple heart emoji.
1: So he's not. I'm glad you hit us with the emojis. That was important. Uh, So he's not going to be playing in Sunday night's wild card game at the Cincinnati Bengals. But I do think that the component of this story that's even bigger than his actual status, frankly, is him addressing this in such a detailed way where you just read off, you know, like a medical report, basically, which Lamar is certainly, it appears, being transparent with us about his health issues. And why would he want to do that? The thing that I would think that comes to mind here is that he wants to quiet this narrative that was out there. This idea that him and the Ravens aren't getting along because of the lack of contract extension and because of that, he's refusing to play. It feels like he wants to get out ahead of it and be like really specific about it. Guys, this is what's wrong. There's something truly seriously wrong here with my knee.
2: Excellent point. You you do feel like you could put all this to bed if John Harbaugh just came out and said, look, we hear the speculation, we hear the rumors, it great, It makes for great TV talk, it makes for great sports talk radio. The thing is, it's not true. Lamar's knee is banged up, he's hurt, he wants to be out here, but he can't be out here. He's not going to be able to help us playing on that knee, it's nothing more than that. If you would hear that from the head coach, you'd probably feel a little bit better. Now, I'm not saying Harbaugh needs to do that, but as long as that goes unsaid, you're going to speculate as to what's going on here. At some point, you probably need to consider doing what the rest of the league does, Pay your franchise quarterback or start looking for a new franchise quarterback. It's just crazy to think the Ravens could let this kid, in his prime, as an MVP of the league leave the team when they're currently boasting one of the best defenses in the NFL. Baltimore's allowing 14 points per game over their last nine outings. Since they brought in Roquan Smith, that defense has found another gear. They are primed to contend for Super Bowls, but you got to make a decision at some point what you're going to do with the quarterback position. It's
1: either long-term or nothing. I would stop dancing around with this. I don't know if you have to make that decision, frankly. I'm not sure I agree with you because I think what the Ravens do is just franchise him. And then I think we have to have this conversation again in another season. I just think they use a tag on him next season because I I, I don't with Lamar he's a long-term solution if they can agree on a deal but obviously this comes down to whatever the disconnect there is in negotiations and you and I have no information on that such a lack of information compared to what I feel like we normally have in these situations because Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent if he had an agent presumably we'd hear more leaks. In fact, the agent would probably be using the media to his or her advantage, frankly, to maybe help the positioning of his or her client. We're not getting any of that because Lamar Jackson represents himself with the help of his mother. And so it's very tight-lipped, which is why there's been all this speculation out there that his knee is really not a problem that he's fully healed and he's just not going into a postseason available because he's really trying to stick it to the Ravens and put their feet to the fire until they pony up and pay him what he wants to be paid. But now he comes out and says this. So he obviously doesn't want the public optics to look like that on the Ravens. And so I don't know what to make of any of this situation when it comes to the actual contract negotiations, because frankly, I don't know what the actual problem is. Is Lamar Jackson asking for Deshaun Watson level money? And the Ravens are like, no, 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 that was an outlier contract. We can't do that. Salary cap sport ain't happening. Or is he asking for Patrick Mahomes type money? And the Ravens are just undervaluing him or undercutting him and just not coming to the plate. I have no idea, frankly, who I would even side with in this situation. Joe, because I don't know what each other's what each side is actually presenting to one another and where the negotiation even stands.
2: Compounding the issue is the fact that the Ravens just traded for linebacker Roquan Smith from the Chicago Bears earlier this season. Roquan represents himself and just got a new contract with the Ravens, making him the highest paid off the ball linebacker in NFL history. So if he's able to represent himself and get it done with the Ravens, you got to wonder what's going on with Jackson, his demands and what's happening there with the Ravens. I wouldn't be surprised if the Ravens have evaluated this situation and said, look, we love the kid, extremely talented. We want him under center. We don't want him under center for the next five years. The way he plays is conducive to getting hurt. We've seen injuries in each of the last two seasons. We would, rather pay, go, we would rather pay as you go. Franchise him each year, pay the big number, and then be able to get out of it when we want, when he eventually falls off a cliff. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they were thinking deep down. And if you're Lamar, you want that security. You want that guaranteed
1: money. What I always go back to is at the owners meetings when Deshaun Watson got paid and Steve Bishotti came out and he said just because that guy got paid like that doesn't mean that essentially we have to pay players like that, right? And so far Deshaun Watson, that contract, that fully guarantee with hundreds of millions of dollars, it was like nothing we'd ever seen before in NFL history and so far we haven't seen it since. Now what happens when Joe Burrow gets paid and what happens when Justin Herbert gets paid because those dudes are about to get paid and I don't know where they're going to reset the market, but that might give us a lot more clarity on where lamar jackson should fall because i don't think anybody's going to be arguing that lamar jackson should probably get more than say joe burrow so if i'm the ravens i'm kind of waiting to see where in fact that does fall and in order to see that i'm going to go ahead and probably franchise tag him for next season and i'll have a lot more clarity on where the entire market for that quarterback position is going to be set purple heart purple heart emoji
0: joe and amber the podcast